Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast, an oral history project celebrating pro and college football history. This episode, Denver Broncos and Florida A&M legend Al Denson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Game Before the Money podcast. I'm Jackson Michael, author of The Game Before the Money, Voices of the Men Who Built the NFL, an oral history published by the University of Nebraska Press that features interviews with 40 football legends, including over a dozen who are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That book is available on Amazon.com, and you can learn more at TheGameBeforeTheMoney.com. This podcast continues that work, and in this episode, we sit down with Al Denson. He's going to share some fantastic stories about growing up in Jacksonville, Florida, alongside a future Hall of Famer. He'll also share stories about playing for legendary Florida A&M coach Jake Gaither, and tell us about his glory days playing for the Denver Broncos in the American Football League. He's someone you're likely familiar with if you followed the AFL, and especially if you followed the Denver Broncos. Al Denson and Otis Taylor tied for the AFL lead in touchdown receptions in 1967. Denson was also named to the AFL All-Star Game and the All-AFL Team by the Associated Press, UPI, and the Sporting News multiple times. He excelled as a receiver for the Broncos after playing tight end early in his career, and despite a lot of turnover on both the Broncos coaching staff and at quarterback. Al Denson also had an amazing career at Florida A&M as a receiver. He was inducted into the Florida A&M Hall of Fame in 1981 as part of a class that included his Bronco teammate Hewitt Dixon and Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. The game program from his induction also notes that Al was a tremendous basketball player in addition to his football talents. Denson grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. He attended New Stanton High School and was a well-rounded athlete. Basically, in high school, uh, I competed in all the sports, basketball, baseball, track, football. He said that high schools in Jacksonville were segregated at the time. Denson attended New Stanton High School, a school that often competed against Matthew Gilbert High, another black high school located in Jacksonville. Their star athlete was future Olympian and Hall of Fame wide receiver, Bob Hayes. He was from Gilbert and I was from San. We played each other for years in high school. He's from Jacksonville, Florida, too. So you guys kind of grew up together then? Yes. Playing track against each other, played baseball against each other, football against each other, basketball against each other. Now, I know some of you are probably wondering the same thing I was. Since they grew up competing against each other, I asked Al if he ever raced against Bullet Bob Hayes. Yes, raced against 100-yard dash and a 220-yard dash. I won the 220. So Al Denson did indeed beat the man who became known as the world's fastest human at the 220. That speaks to how great 
of an athlete Al Denson was in his prime. Denson chose to attend Florida A&M University and suit up for the Rattlers. Well, I chose Florida A&M because I had a scholarship offered from Florida A&M, and at that particular time, Florida A&M was the number one school in the state of Florida to attend for Afro-American boys. A big reason that Florida A&M was the top HBCU school in Florida and one of the top schools in the entire country was head coach Jake Gaither. You can learn more about Coach Gaither in the Jake Gaither episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And Denson is going to tell us what it was like to play for the legendary coach. Well, he just was a great individual and he had coached great people. And he was more so like a, a father and a blessing to you. He taught you the right way to be and taught you what was going to happen if you go to the pros. The one thing he taught us is that we know that we had to be the best at what we was doing at that particular time during integration. If you wasn't considered the best, you didn't want to be that. The son of Florida A&M's president founded one of the premier HBCU postseason games known as the Orange Blossom Classic. That game started in 1933. By the time Denson got to Florida A&M, it was an established game with a lot of history that served as a national championship game. That was something like a championship game where you played the national team from another black school, like Grambling or Jackson State, and then maybe we come together with two teams, 10 and old, 12 and old, and the winner of that will be the Orange Blossom Classic champion. Denson and Florida A&M defeated Langston in the 1960 Orange Blossom Classic in front of 42,000 fans. That gives you an idea of how popular that game was. The Orange Blossom Classic was played until 1978. It's now being revived and will be played Labor Day weekend in 2021. That game will feature Florida A&M against Jackson State at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Denson and his teammates were part of the national championship winning tradition at Florida A&M under Jake Gaither. The Rattlers won both the Pittsburgh Courier and Atlanta Daily World National Championship in 1961. They split the national championship with Jackson State in 1962 as the Atlanta Daily World awarded the title to Florida A&M. The Atlanta Daily World awarded the team with the W.A. Scott II Memorial Trophy, named after the founder of the newspaper. The Associated Press also named Florida A&M its small college national champion in 1962. And from what I was able to find, that was the first time the AP named an HBCU school as its small college national champion, although it should be noted that the AP didn't vote on small college national championships until 1960. Al Denson was a true star at Florida A&M. He was named All-American three times in 1961, 62, and 63. He was named All-Conference all four years he was in college. Florida A&M was at that time a member of the SIAC, Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. 
At the time he was inducted into Florida A&M's Hall of Fame in 1981, he was one of only four players in Florida A&M history to earn All-American honors three times. Remember, that's at a school that won several national championships under Jake Gaither, and by the time Denson was inducted into the Florida A&M Hall of Fame, that school had placed at least 40 players into the NFL by that time. Guys like Bob Hayes, Ken Riley, Henry Lawrence, Willie Gallimore, Hewitt Dixon, pretty big time players. And Al Denson is one of the most decorated players in the history of that program. Al shared earlier that he'd grown up with Bob Hayes, and he also shared that the two of them went to Florida A&M together as well. Al Denson starred at receiver for Florida A&M, Bob Hayes at halfback. Both were drafted into pro ball in the 1964 drafts in both the AFL and NFL drafts. Al was drafted by the Broncos in the sixth round of the AFL draft and the Philadelphia Eagles in the sixth round of the NFL draft. Hayes was also drafted by the Broncos in the 14th round. The Dallas Cowboys picked Bob Hayes in the 7th round of the NFL draft. Although Hayes stayed another year at A&M and didn't play pro ball until the 1965 season. Denson, who was picked ahead of Hayes in both drafts, started his pro career in 1964 and chose to sign with Denver rather than the Eagles. I asked him why he chose the Broncos. It was a money thing. During that time, the leagues was beating against each other. Philadelphia didn't offer you anything. They was topping the notch, so they figured they didn't have to offer you anything. So Denver offered you a little bit of money and made me feel comfortable, and they blessed me with what they offered me with. The Broncos' 1964 media guide called Al Denson, quote, a rookie with the can't-miss label for future stardom. Denver, however, already had two receivers engraved into their starting lineup, the great Lionel Taylor and Bob Scarpetto. Al split playing time with his college teammate Hewitt Dixon at tight end his rookie year. If you remember earlier stories about Denson's speed, you can imagine that Denson at tight end was likely a mismatch against slower safeties and even slower linebackers. Al scored his first pro touchdown against Kansas City, an 82-yard catch that he remembers for us now. It was just a slant play right across the middle, and I caught it, and then I was real fast at that time, so couldn't nobody catch me at all. That 82-yard catch was the Broncos' longest play of the season. Denson played tight end for three seasons, but says that he was somewhat undersized for the position. I couldn't make it at tight end as an all-star because I couldn't block nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to block nobody. I wasn't weighing them one about 208 pounds, so you couldn't block nobody. Them, them tackles was 300 pounds. I was like a flanker playing tight end, and that, that's why I was catching so many passes because that was unheard of. To expand on what Al said there, he mentioned that his playing weight was about 208 pounds. By comparison, John Mackey weighed about 225. Kansas City tight end Fred Arbanis weighed about 240. 
Mike Ditka weighed over 230. Conversely, receiver Otis Taylor weighed about 215. He was big for a receiver, but still weighed 7 pounds more than Al at tight end. Guys like Don Maynard and Lance Allworth weighed somewhere between 180 and 185. Defensive linemen like Ben Davidson and Ernie Ladd, they weighed about 275 and 290 each. Linebackers were generally at least 225 or so. Tough blocking matchups when you weigh under 210. Denson was a dangerous pass catcher, however. He averaged over 20 yards a catch as a tight end in 1966 and led the Broncos in receiving yards, bettering Lionel Taylor by over 250 yards. Denson also won the team's MVP award and owned the second highest yards per catch average in the American Football League. Like a baseball team that needed to get a big bat into the lineup, Denver needed to get the speedy deep threat Al Denson into the lineup as a wide receiver rather than a tight end. I was catching so many passes at tight end, deep passes, and we didn't have no deep threats on the wide aisle. They were just a four-yard hitch man and a four-yard out and four-yard slant. They couldn't go 20, 30 yards. Denver needed a deep threat at wideout, and Al Denson immediately provided what their offense needed in 1967. Denson scored two touchdowns in the season opener at home against the Boston Patriots, including a 55-yard touchdown from quarterback Steve Tensey in the third quarter. Al's two touchdowns provided the difference in Denver's 26-21 opening week win, as Denson torched the Patriots secondary for 131 yards. Two weeks later, he smoked the Jets secondary for seven catches worth 134 yards and scored his third touchdown of the season. The big numbers kept coming from the speedy receiver. He topped the 100-yard mark four times in 1967 and had at least one reception in every game except for one. And most importantly, he kept scoring. Denson scored at least one touchdown in all but four games in 1967. His two touchdowns at Buffalo led the Broncos to an upset victory over the American Football League's back-to-back -back defending champion. He finished the season with 11 touchdown receptions tied with Kansas City's Otis Taylor, for tops in the pass-heavy AFL. Even when I was that tight end, I was the top receiver on the team. But uh, once I got out to be the wide receiver, I became like an all-star at that position. Denson was indeed named to the AFL All-Star team in 1967 and named All-AFL by a consensus of news organizations. Denson not only tied for the most touchdowns, he also finished fourth in yards per catch. In 1967, the Broncos also welcomed a new rookie running back from Syracuse, Floyd Little. Little eventually made the Pro Football Hall of Fame and was the face of the franchise for many years. Denson talks about the difference Floyd Little made both on the field and in the locker room. One thing about it is he made everything on the team electrifying and he built the team up. In other words, we were down and out, but once Floyd came, we became a united team because he 
we came with All-American stats from Syracuse, number one draft choice, greatest halfback since Jim Brown and Ernie Davis. So it was just publicity stuff. And we lived up to that expectation. 1968 marked a new era for the Denver Broncos. Since 1960, the Broncos played in Bears Stadium, a stadium built in 1948 for minor league baseball. It was just a regular stadium. It wasn't qualified like the stadium now. It was just like something, you know, putting together because Denver was a new team. They didn't have any money, anything like that. According to the Denver Public Library's official website, the city of Denver obtained the stadium in 1968. The Broncos Media Guide noted that a civic drive raised $1.8 million and the city received the stadium as a gift from a nonprofit. A 16,000 seat upper deck was built to bring the capacity over 50,000 and the Broncos sold a record amount of season tickets with over 25,000 season tickets sold before the 1968 season started. Al played in the first game at the newly renovated stadium, complete with the type of Bronco mania for which Denver fans are famous. Well, it was very exciting. There were so many people there, you couldn't shake your hands because we had the biggest crowd in the AFL that's better than all other teams. So it was real exciting. We had the, the, the girls and the, then the horses riding up and down the field. The stadium was renamed Mile High Stadium in December of 1968. According to the 1969 Broncos Media Guide, Denson suffered a broken collarbone and missed half the season in 1968. He still came within only 15 yards of leading the Broncos in receiving that year. That's how excellent of a receiver that Al Denson was for the Denver Broncos. After he returned to action, Denver played the Raiders on the road in December of 1968, and Al racked up over 130 yards receiving and caught two touchdowns from Broncos quarterback Marlon Briscoe. Briscoe was one of the first African-American quarterbacks in pro football history. George Talaferro is often regarded as the first, and you can read his memories of playing during the 1940s and 1950s in the book, The Game Before the Money. Briscoe was one of several quarterbacks the Broncos started during Denson's career. Steve Tensey, a Florida State product who was Fred Bolitnikoff's college quarterback, was another signal caller with whom Denson racked up yardage. Al talks about the high number of quarterbacks he played with in Denver and gives us a scouting report on Marlon Briscoe, who earned the nickname, The Magician. We had at least six or seven, Jackie Lee, Don McCormick, Don LaBella, he had so many, and then it didn't change until Marlon Briscoe came in, the first black quarterback. That's when it changed, and me and him started playing together. We was all right then. Marlon was a great athlete, period. A quarterback, he was pretty good with running the option. He was a good thrower. But basically, he was a great athlete. He ended up being one of the greatest wide receivers in the AFL. Briscoe moved on to Buffalo in 1969 and was switched to wide receiver. Longtime Bills quarterback Jack Kemp was the established starter there. And the Bills also drafted Grambling's James Harris in the eighth round of the 1969 draft. 
1969 was the final American Football League season, and Denson starred for the Broncos. He caught 10 touchdown passes and led the team in receiving. His 10 touchdown receptions placed him third in the American Football League for touchdown catches behind two Raiders, Warren Wells and Fred Blitnikoff. Denson was again selected to play in the AFL All-Star Game, and thus Al Denson played in the last ever American Football League game. He entered 1970 as the longest tenured member of the Denver Broncos, according to the team's media guide. 1970 was also Denver's first season in the National Football League, and the Broncos won four out of their first five games. There's a little bit of trivia for you. The team only won two games the rest of the way, however. Al Denson once again led the Broncos in receiving in 1970. Listen to this. Dating back to 1966, he led the Broncos in receiving yardage four out of five consecutive seasons. Remember, the only season in that five-year span that he didn't lead the Broncos in receiving was 1968, when he missed the team lead in receiving by fewer than 20 yards, despite missing several games. Al Denson truly was one of the best and most consistent players the Broncos had and was a standout player in American Football League history when you look at his performance. His yardage total is 15th in league history, only a couple of slots behind Otis Taylor. The same goes for his touchdown receptions total. He's also in the AFL's top 20 for all-time receptions. That's pretty good placement in a 10-year league for a guy whose career started in the league's fifth season. Denson's speed also made him one of the fastest players in the league. He ran the 100-yard dash in 9.6 seconds. Despite all of that, the Broncos traded him to the Minnesota Vikings before the 1971 season. Al tells us how he heard about the deal. I was home during the summer, and they called and told me I was traded to the Vikings for a fellow named John Charles, a defensive back. Denson went to Minnesota, a veteran team with a group of starters who had played together for a long time under head coach Bud Grant. Many of those starters came from larger schools from major college conferences. Al says that although he had the ability to play well and contribute to the Vikings offense, he wasn't given much of a chance against established starters who had played college football at larger schools. Well, actually, you know, once you talk about somebody who's supposed to be great and good, they're not going to let somebody come from a small college in nowhere and outshine Michigan State, a little Al Denson coming from Florida and m Who in the hell that is? You know what I mean? But see, on the field, they couldn't even tote my shoestring. They wasn't nothing, but that's the way it was. Al confronted Bud Grant about the situation and tells us about the rather unusual response he received. I told Bud Grant that I said, you're supposed to be a great coach. You can't see what I'm doing on the field. You, you, you can't be playing them ahead of me when they're not doing anything. I talked to him just like that. And then he said, well, you're not part of the team. It's not a matter about what you could do. It's a matter whether you're with the team or not. We're going to win with them. They don't have to catch passes. We're going to win anyway, which they did. But I'm just saying, that's 
what he told me. He said, hell, you can catch all the passes you want. We don't need you to catch no passes. We're going to win with the defense. We got Allen Page, Gene Marshall, Carl Eller. We got the perfect people leader. We don't care about you catching no passes. Al added that not being able to contribute up to one's potential can also adversely affect a player's income. Smaller stats often mean smaller paychecks, especially when we're talking about the early 1970s. Only way you're going to get a raise, you got to catch some passes. The Vikings did indeed win with that Purple People Eaters defense. They finished 11-3 in 1971, first place in the NFC Central and tied with the Dallas Cowboys for the best record in the NFL. According to Pro Football Reference, Al Denson caught multiple passes in three straight games for the Vikings in weeks 5, 6, and 7, and Minnesota won all three of those games. He totaled 10 receptions for the season, far below what he'd collect in his seasons with Denver. Minnesota bowed out of the playoffs in a divisional loss at home to the Dallas Cowboys. Meanwhile, Al moved on, hoping to land with a team that gave him a chance to contribute more. He signed with the Oakland Raiders. Oakland gave me a big bonus, but I got there and got hurt, and then they gave me another extra year. I participated in an exhibition season, that's it, with Raiders. But I still got two years on my retirement with them. An Achilles tendon injury prevented Denson from repeating the success he had with the Broncos for the Raiders. Al Denson put together a tremendous career at all levels. He was a tremendous high school athlete and was elected to the Jacksonville, Florida Hall of Fame. His athletic excellence at Florida A&M earned him spots in both the Florida A&M Hall of Fame and the Florida Sports Hall of Fame. As a professional, he was the Broncos team MVP for two seasons, tied for the most touchdown receptions in the American Football League in 1967, and is among the AFL's career leaders in receiving. Al says that a lot of people might not remember his career highlights, but the two-time AFL All-Star and three-time All-American finally remembers his success on the field. For me, for as football was concerned, is that that was something that was blessed upon me. Um, from where I came from, from Jacksonville, Florida, moving up to AM and then going to the pros, it was a blessing in the skies, and that's something I'll never forget, and I always love it. And that's just it. The memory is great. All of the people in the stands and all of the touchdowns I called and stuff like that. Nobody don't know about it now, but hey, I know about it. I know I'm a living legend. Al Denson, indeed a legendary figure in football history. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Before the Money podcast. And special thanks to Al Denson for interviewing for this podcast. Upcoming guests include Denson's teammate with the Broncos, Lionel Taylor. I will also have Hall of Fame linebacker Dave Wilcox and 2020 College Hall of Fame inductee Bob Stein, who was also a member of the Super Bowl IV champion Kansas City Chiefs. Remember that transcriptions of some podcasts 
and many great football history articles are available at thegamebeforethemoney.com. Transcriptions are powered by our transcription partner, Sonics. S-O-N-I-X. Visit sonics.ai to learn more about their automated transcription services.